0: You're listening to midlife state of mind podcast hosted by aaron beetle and belinda fleming two gals who dish on all the challenges and opportunities that come with this middle section of your life each episode you'll find yourself going between laughter and tears as they cover all the topics you need to know about midlife Today's episode deals with the sensitive topic of childhood sexual abuse, which some of our listeners may find to be disturbing. If this is something that you know is triggering for you, please take care and skip this episode. Visit our show notes for resources on prevention and dealing with the effects of childhood sexual abuse. Welcome back to Midlife State of Mind. I'm your host, Erin Beadle
1: and belinda fleming thank you so much for joining in we love our listeners and we love that you um check in with us week after week and that you are on this journey of midlife with us so today's topic is much more serious nature than some of our previous topics And it is difficult to discuss, but we are going to do so with as much transparency as we possibly can. And what brought this about for this time and for us to put it in the forefront of one of our episodes is the recent incident by the Dalai Lama. And we aren't going to comment our thoughts. We are just letting you know that that is why it became this was the catalyst for it absolutely we're going to leave it up to you our listeners to form your own opinions about anything surrounding the uh, video of the dalai lama and that isn't even our focus today But I did want you to be aware that that is what brought this to the forefront.
0: It's been a topic that we wanted to talk about for a while, but it was just on a future episode. We're going to talk about childhood sexual abuse.
1: I just want to start out by sharing a few statistics with you. This is from the National Center for Victims of Crimes and Studies by David Finkler, who is the Director of Crimes Against Children Research Center, found that one in five girls and one in 20 boys is a victim of sexual abuse and the most vulnerable age based on the data is uh, between the ages of 7 and 13. 91% of sexual abuse against children occurs by someone known and trusted by the child and or the child's family.
0: We're often taught stranger danger. Right. We're
1: drilled that at a young age. Yes,
0: very much so, but it's usually not a stranger that yeah, is going to gonna perpetuate these types of crimes of childhood sexual abuse.
1: 30 to 40% of these crimes are by a family member. 50% of children in this age group of 7 to 13 are abused by someone outside of the family, but that is a known or trusted family friend. So these are important facts just to really preface what we're going to be discussing today. And I'll add additionally that nearly 70% of child sex offenders have between 1 to 9 victims and at least 20% have 10 to 40 victims. Those are
0: appalling statistics. It, it makes me sick to my stomach. Yeah, for it, sure.
1: it, it's very upsetting and this is a very difficult episode today. I want to let you all know that Erin is going to be sharing some personal stories from her childhood. I just want to lift her up right now and encourage her to just share what's on her heart and to know that we are all here as supportive listeners. Thank you.
0: Like Belinda and I said, this is a very sensitive topic. I'm not going to go into graphic details about what happened to me, but I have felt compelled to share this since I started the podcast and for a couple of reasons is education, empowerment, encouragement. I'm just going to kind of go into my story. Belinda may ask some questions along the way. As a child, we were big churchgoers in church every Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday, Wednesday night, you know, whenever the church doors were open, we actually lived next door to the church. And starting about the age of six, we had an assistant preacher that came to our church who took an interest in me. And if you know me as an adult now, I'm, I'm very, I'm not a wallflower at all. I don't mind speaking my mind. But as a child being raised in the church, I was extremely meek. Obedient. Obedient. Oh, you know, I follow those 10 commandments. I was taught from a very early age that you always honor adults. And I took it very seriously. Starting around age six, when this assistant preacher came to our church and took an interest in me, who very much, I think because he saw that I was such an obedient kind of meek little good girl, it's a very much a grooming thing. He would tell me how special I was, how pretty I was. And you this know, would
1: be at church.
0: At, always at church initially. He'd take me into his office. Over time, gradually. And let's give a, a differentiate between when we talk about childhood sexual abuse, there is contact and there's non-contact. Contact is molestation. You can use that term interchangeably with sexual abuse. But there is a form of childhood sexual abuse of non-contact, which is voyeurism, showing a child pornography and different things like that, that maybe doesn't constitute you actually laying hands on them. They're both horrible. I'm not going to differentiate between them as far as the repercussions or the effects because they're both damaging to a child. And the
1: data that I just gave doesn't differentiate that either. But if you look up the definition of molestation, it is sexual assault or abuse of a person and it's especially a child it's
0: almost always a person in power I'm going to call this man John Doe and I do have to tell a little story when I was telling my husband that I was going to be talking about this and he was like don't use his real name and it really ticked me off because he said he could come after you I mean he's 82 now but he could come after you or one of his family members and I said so what bring it on that's what I said what do I have to fear I'm telling the truth it's a known thing that happened that he admitted to? And also, why should I protect him when he didn't protect me? But anyways, and and he was trying to look out for me to be protective of me, in which I know that Jeff is always trying to be protective of me, but I'm just going to call him John Doe. And I'm going to use pseudonyms for everyone just to protect their identity, because I'm not going to tell anyone else's experience except for my own. John Doe, he was our preacher. Like I said, he was extremely just took an interest in me and was just very sweet to start with. Then it started gradually progressing to him touching me started with it through my tights that kind of thing and I always thought like did he mean to do that or you know, it was so confusing very confusing out there yes good. it was not like he went straight to full-on molestation it was very ins- insidious it, it was subtle at first and then when I didn't I guess balk at it then he would take it a little bit further. And it got to the point then for my second grade and third grade year, his wife was my Sunday school teacher and she would have sleepovers for us. She taught girls second and third grade. She moved up with us and she would have us spend the night and then he would do it at his house as well in front of her, which Belinda, one of the questions she did ask me is, do you think she knew? And I say, absolutely she knew, but she was a very meek person and I think he dominated her and I'm not making excuses for her at all because it still is very hard for me to even have compassion for her. But I know that it it couldn't have been something that she felt good about. But so needless to say, this went on for quite a while. I never knew what to think about it. I never understood it. I would sit there and think like, why is he doing this? And it was always just so made me just feel... really just I just never knew what to think it was so confusing
1: what were the physical symptoms that you would feel I mean I'm sure as a child of six years old that you knew something wasn't I absolutely knew it
0: wasn't obviously he's a preacher and he's an adult and I'm a child this must be normal in some way and so what I can remember distinctly and you know how we always talk a lot about our gut and following our gut is my gut knew in my stomach would almost like that free fall if you've ever done a free fall and you feel your stomach drop That is what would happen physically. I would feel this drop in my stomach that would just, it's actually a feeling that can, when I feel it now, it can trigger that same memory. memory. Mm -hmm. It can trigger the memory, exactly. This went on for a while, and I definitely, then at some point, how it finally came out was his great-niece was a really good family friend. Our, his great-niece's mother had been married to his nephew, which if you want to try to figure out family tree. <laughs> so John Doe, we happened to be really really good friends with his great niece and she and I spent the night together all the time she was just a friend to all of my sisters and I and my brother even I was spending the night with her, I, I remember this so vividly and it was a Friday night, we were staying up late talking and she happened to mention something about her uncle, that he, something that he was doing to someone else that was very dear to me and at that point I just knew, even though I knew all along it was wrong, I just was so meek. I just didn't feel like I could speak up about it. So I said, that's happened to me. And she's like, what? And she's like, we have to tell my mom. Her mom was sleeping. Her mom and the nephew of John Doe were divorced. We went into her mom's room and she said, mom, mom. And and she said, told basically happened. I didn't say a word and I will never forget. She sat straight up in bed and just goes, what? And kind of screamed. Mm -hmm. And my friend just burst into tears. And I can remember being terrified that I was in trouble.
1: I have chills right now up and down my spine, and I can't even imagine. And I'm so well. Fascial. Imagine being the mother too. Yeah. I mean, well, think about your friend, this this little girl, that she had the presence of mind to go and wake up her mother and tell her mother. What a gift that she gave to you to be an advocate for you.
0: Absolutely. And she's the one that's like, we have to tell. And I was like, yes, you're right. And when her mother just just freaked out, obviously, which was what most normal people would do. Right. So the next morning, at this point, we live in a home with no phone. <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) If you know, I grew up poor. And so she went and told my parents and my dad. Do you remember those little bouncy horses that Mm -hmm. kids had? And we had one and I was sitting on it. hop Yes. And he said to me, and it's amazing, I can laugh about it. He said, did he hurt you? And I said, yes. And it's the only time I've ever seen my dad cry. He went to go kill him. I'm not even kidding you. He went to go kill him. And he ended up... Every
1: parent would feel that way.
0: Well, by then, of course, because they had notified our preacher, they had already contacted him. He had left town. My dad went over there. His son was there. And his son's like, they're gone. So then there was this big to-do. And I'm not casting stones, but this was 1978. There wasn't as much known about pedophilia and how you cannot rehabilitate a pedophile. Our preacher talked my parents into letting him move without any law enforcement being brought in as long as he would agree to go to counseling. John Doe moved. We found out later he moved somewhere. He did it again. They let him go because again, you just, you know, there, there wasn't as much talk about getting authorities involved. He became a school bus driver and he molested a child from the school rather than a church and he ended up starting time in prison. I found him probably about maybe five or six years ago and he had been in prison as late as I think it was 2012 because he had done it again. He is divorced from his wife. My kids have known about this from the time they were born. We've always talked about it. I've mm-hmm. been very open and I'm going to tell you why in a second. For years I didn't talk about it. I didn't get counseling back then because you know my mom just figured, okay we've handled the situation. He's out of the picture. You're safe. Let's just go on with life. But for years I carried tremendous shame up until my late 20s, early 30s. And then I just finally appropriate context would share about my experience if it came up mm-hmm. and if it was appropriate. I don't just share it with, you know, strangers, although I'm sharing it with some of you who don't, I don't know personally. But what I found is that the more that I talked about it, I, I think of it as like an onion. I was peeling back those layers of shame, those years of shame, of feeling shameful because I was six, seven, and eight. There's nothing I could have done to ever have warranted that. Right. But at the time when you're a child and you're in that, you just don't know why and you can't make sense of it so you feel like it's something you did it's like when children who have parents who divorce and they blame themselves right the reason that that we're talking about this and why it was always an episode that i wanted to talk about is because it's important we want to educate you and we and belinda's going to share some some educational standpoints but i want to empower people because the stats say that there are an estimate of 42 million survivors of childhood sexual abuse that exist in In America this is not worldwide but America today and if you are one of those people I know you feel shame I know you do it's it's inevitable and I want to encourage you to seek out some type of therapy or of healing for yourself because you do not want to live with that shame that shame will keep you small it will keep you disconnected and you don't have to live with that
1: Was there a time period that you recognized the disconnection? Absolutely.
0: I know now looking back that I was disconnected for years, even when my kids were young, even though I talked to them about it, there was still a disconnection from my body because I learned that my body maybe wasn't a safe place for me to be. And maybe it is some type of like PTSD. And funny enough, you play into this reconnection was when we did our first teacher training in 2000, started in 2013. And I realized then that I had... Some Game I had story. not I had not worked through it like I thought because I'm a duck and I will let something just roll off me. But the thing is that nothing rolls off of us and we know this through yoga that when you don't deal with something, it's still there. Mm-hmm. It's just below the surface. And you know that we we use that term a lot: issues in our tissues.
1: And there's a there's a powerful book called The Body Remembers.
0: The body keeps the score. Yeah, it's a book that changed my life, and I read that during our first teacher training, and I was like, holy shit, this is me. (laughs) This is me. I've disconnected from so much. And when you, and it's a survival.
1: Was there there emotional release that just felt like, wow, this is empowering now that I'm realizing that I was disassociated and now I can work my way back to the sense to of-
0: this, And this is one of the reasons why we're doing this whole retreat on reclaiming wholeness. I reclaimed my wholeness. I did it through yoga. You can do it through yoga. You, you know, there's lots of ways that you can reach that, but I was able to feel joy again, because what I had done, and this is what I wanna really make a point of, is that when we numb ourselves, I never developed a drug or an alcohol addiction. When we numb ourselves, but I numbed myself because I didn't wanna feel the pain, but when you numb yourself to the pain, you also numb yourself to the joy by working through the pain and reconciling that time in my life, then I was able to start to feel the joy again. And Um, I
1: think your adult self, too, you were at a place where you could recognize that guilt and shame, there was no place for that. A child of the age of six to eight years old, that's not your guilt. That's not your shame. You did nothing.
0: For years, then, I grieved very heavily for my little girl self. And it can bring me to tears if I really think about it, because I I know how innocent I was and how obedient I was and and you
1: were taken completely advantage of Absolutely, you were targeted because of that because of that innocence and that's it's infuriating it is, I, I mean we want justice to be served and it's unfortunate that the statistic of that they have more and more victims, victims. and that they keep perpetuating this over and over there's
0: no one that you, I mean when they say one to nine I can't believe that there's ever anyone that just has one victim mm-hmm. I mean and that was proven to me just by knowing what he went on to do over and over and in a way i mean granted i didn't have any say in what happened to him but it it makes me feel like i wonder if we had done something right then then those other children wouldn't have suffered so you did some research on warning signs to look for so
1: emotional signs might be sleep disturbance nightmares changes in mood even anger and irritability showing up rebellion or withdrawal noticing a lack of interest in school sports and friends that would be a like apathy sun, right unexplained health problems you know a stomach ache you talk about that feeling that you would get in your stomach I can only imagine as a child every time you had to be around that person that you're going to have unexplained feelings of nausea or of discomfort and also just trying to be too perfect and feeling responsible sometimes the abuser has the power to make you feel that you're responsible and that they give you this sense of keeping things a secret as if something harmful might happen to you if you don't keep the secret and this burden of responsibility takes away from you having a normal childhood. All of this takes away from you having uh, an innocent, like you said, this innocence was taken away. And, you know, I I agree with you. I also would wonder, you know, if he would have been held accountable at that time if this would have turned out differently for other children that he came in contact with. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, that's what it should have and we we will never know. But just hearing your story, and by the way, I know it takes a lot of courage for you to share this, but your friend, your friend that was exactly your age that immediately went to her mother, that really just makes my heart so happy that you were in that moment at that time and that that was the end of it that was the beginning of the end of it. It was
0: definitely the beginning of the end.
1: And you were protected from that moment on. That's powerful. We're
0: still in contact today. I love it. Talk about child grooming.
1: So child grooming is really about offer of someone who isn't in your family, but maybe like you said, a pastor or someone that you have a lot of respect for. Offers to help your family in some way. Wants to create these opportunities to have access to your children. That is where child grooming begins and you even mentioned that it was subtle right it was subtle trying to make someone feel special this was absolutely grooming Mm -hmm. and there obviously you were probably not the first child that he had done this and obviously the wife has done this before as well we don't know we're speculating but it just seems very suspicious the way that this all unfolded that she would become the Sunday school teacher Mm -hmm. that she would host the spend the night Especially
0: a girl Sunday school teacher, like making it so that he had easy access. And that's one thing that I want to point out is that oftentimes, and I'm not saying every pastor or every Boy Scout leader is a pedophile. But they often seek out positions of authority where they have access to children and can be that, That in that way they can groom a child mm-hmm. because they're this trusted community figure or coach.
1: Well, we have moved into an age where back in the 70s when this occurred, it's very different than it is right now. And, and if you have a reasonable suspicion at this day and time that we live in, it is expected that you would report that. Yeah,
0: And you're a mandatory reporter. As a nurse, yes, and teachers are. If they have a suspicion, they have to report it, but even somebody
1: right. Anyone in a public role that has a reasonable suspicion is required to report. And that is a safety net for protecting our children. And there's a couple of websites. You can check out Darkness to Light.
0: Yeah, D to L. We'll drop all the links to these resources in our show notes.
1: But it was just really interesting to look at the estimated 42 million survivors exist in America today.
0: That is so many. It's astounding to me. And
1: that's why this podcast episode... This episode is so important because we want want everyone to know that you have a voice and that you don't have to carry shame or guilt and there are resources, there are people that want to help you heal Mm -hmm. and it could be that you've been carrying this for a really long, long time. We are here today to say that you don't do it alone.
0: Definitely. If you're someone who even suspects that it is going on, again, your gut is probably spot on and so it doesn't hurt to report it to CPS or local law enforcement and let them do the proper due diligence and then that way at least the burden is off of you.
1: And do you have any suggestions or recommendations for talking to our own children?
0: For me, when my kids were little, I always said to them that their privates, we always said the proper terms, that those were theirs only. that. No one was to touch them. Only dad and I, if there a need be, if you have an irritation or we need to look. And then the other person was the doctor when we went for your checkup with mom or dad in the room. So I taught my kids from a very early age that no one should ever touch your privates except for you. And my kids from a very early age, they knew that I was sexually molested because I just did not want that to happen to my children.
1: Well, it's crucial that we talk to our children about it in an age-appropriate and a gentle way. There are some actual resources online. If you do suspect that a child you may think may be sexually abused, have you ever been hurt by a person taking care of you? That is a very appropriate question to ask your child. You can directly ask your child if anyone has touched you or touching you in a way that doesn't feel good. That's a really powerful question right there.
0: Well, and you know what I told my children is if it ever, when they were little, if, if your tummy ever feels funny, you need to listen to that because that is your inner wisdom telling you that something isn't right
1: another question would be if are you afraid to tell there's nothing that you can't tell me because some
0: abusers do say if you tell you'll be in trouble he never said that to me he didn't have to threaten me i think because he just knew that i was very obedient and it may be one of the reasons why i'm not obedient now <laughs> i've like rebelled against it i'm like oh hell no you aren't going to tell me what to do anymore we'll drop all of these resources in our show notes and and just know, Belinda said, you aren't alone and you don't need to carry this. And we hope that this episode maybe could be the catalyst for your healing. So we thank you guys so much for tuning in.
1: And thank you, Erin, for sharing. I know it's a difficult to talk about. And I respect you and I love you and appreciate you bearing this hard heart truth of your own experience. And
0: thank you for holding space for me to share it because it's not easy to hear, I know. And like I said, every time I do talk about it, it helps me to again just peel one more layer of shame off. We'll see you guys next week. Bye now.
1: This has been an E-Squared production.